Welcome to the Anchor Dope Podcast. We're so glad that you decided to join us today. Today's series is Buttheads, Bullies, and Beavis. Part 1, Buttheads, featuring Michael Davis. We are going to start a brand new series today. And the name of the series is, I want you to check out my graphic, Buttheads, Bullies, and Beavis. Dealing with difficult people, right? And uh, it had a different title at one point. Um, it had a different B word at the front, um, but I was strongly advised not to use that B word. And so anyway, I settled on buttheads, a little bit more PG. Uh, but the, the subtitle kind of gives it away, right? How to deal with difficult people. And here's the thing, you know, I recognize this. When we come here to church or when you, you know, watch these lessons or listen to these lessons on our podcast or whatever it may be, a lot of times we're learning how to not be the difficult people, right? We're trying to become less difficult people. And let's be honest, some of you, you're you're difficult people, okay? You're you're difficult to be married to. You're difficult to work with, right? And so we're all coming here like, Lord, show me how to be a less difficult person. But but here's the thing. We all know that there are difficult people all all, all over the place. We come into contact with difficult people all the time. And how how do we deal with those people? And you know what kind of people I'm talking about, right? I mean, here's just a a list of some descriptive words. We're talking about mean, manipulative, aggressive, ignorant, controlling people. You know anybody like that? Right? Come on, you got to say something today. Mike Lair's not here, so you got to say amen or something, okay? I mean, we all know some people like this, right? And we come into contact with these people all the time people we work with, people we're related to, people we're friends with, people we live next to, right? Somebody you might be sitting next to today, right? And so we've got to learn how to deal with those type of people. Now, now, uh, to be, you know, real clear, we're not talking about, like, um, people who do illegal things. We're not, we're not talking about evil people who, you know, who do, like, uh, terrible stuff like that. That's, that's something different. We're not talking about, like, uh, uh, abusive, evil people that break the law. This is something different. This is, these are types of people that you have to adapt to. Do you know what that looks like? I mean, people that you have to adapt to are very, very different. Uh, these are the type of people that like when you know when you get there and you're going to walk into the room, you like sit in your car for a few more minutes, right? Like you pull up and you're like, oh, right? And somebody asks like, what are you doing? And you're like, I'm getting ready. <laughs> ready for what? Ready to make contact with that person. And I just, I just, I need a minute, right? These these are the type of people that you have to adapt to in the way you're like, you know what, before I go in there, I just, I I, I gotta go get a drink, (laughs) right? Like there's certain people where I'm like, I I tell my wife, I'm like, honey, you know, before we go do this, I really gotta go to Starbucks because if I don't have a drink in my hand, I just might squeeze my own fist off, right? And so it's like people that you have to adapt to, people you have to adapt to at work. Have you ever had anybody at work that you're like, you choose certain paths around the office so you don't have to make contact with that person you know what I mean like you have to go to the bathroom right but you don't go right you go left and people are like what are you doing you're like I don't want to see the monster that lives around the corner right so I go this way instead of that way and you have to adapt to that person or sometimes there's those people you have to adapt to so much you feel like you put like a mask on your face right I mean you're smiling on the outside but on the inside you're breaking in half, right? But you adapt to those people. They, they have a measure of control 
over your life. And that's not good. And that's not healthy. And so we've got to talk about what we do with those people. Because the thing is, is that difficult people, difficult people are inevitable, right? I've got bad news for you. This is the only bad news of the day. They're not going anywhere. They're going to be there. Some of you, you leave your, your workplace or you leave your family or you leave a group of friends because you're like, I'm done. I'm over it. I can't do this anymore. I'm going to go try to find a less difficult group of people. But here's the thing. Difficult people are everywhere. They exist everywhere. They're like COVID, okay? As soon as you think you're over it, here comes Delta, all right? So, you know, it's like it's everywhere. And so that's why we have to have a plan. We have to have a plan. Because the thing is, is that in anything in life, when you don't have a plan, you're emotionally driven. When you don't have a plan, you just react. And a lot of times what ends up happening is we adapt as much as we can. We adapt and we adapt and we adapt and we try to get along and we try to get along and we continue to adapt. But then all of a sudden the pressure builds, the pressure builds, and then you have that one day. You remember that day? Some of you have had that day, right? You had that one day where you had less sleep, you didn't feel good, and you were done. And you said what? You said, I can't. Uh-uh, not today, Satan, right? Karen, I'm going to cut you, right? You're like, today is the day I'm going to break. This is the day that I'm going into JCPenney's and I'm going to burn it down, right? I mean, this is the day where you're like, I can't. And what did you do? You fought back, right? You chose, like, I, that's it, I'm going to fight back. And here's the thing that happened, is you didn't just fight back. You fought fire with fire, right? I mean, the same nonsense that they threw at you, you were like, I can do twice as much, right? And, I mean, you fought back. They were a butthead. Oh, you haven't even seen how big of a butthead I can be, right? I mean, they were a bully. You are like, oh, I'll shove you back, right? They are a beavis. You're like, you haven't even seen stupid yet. I'll show you some stupid, right? And so you fought back. And here's what happens in that moment, okay? When you fight back. This, this is what happens. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read it on the screen. When you clap back at people, it doesn't make you better than them. It makes you like them or worse than them. Yeah, amen, right? I mean, when you clap back at people, you think that you're getting even. But the problem is, is you're not getting even. The problem is, is you become just like them, or in some cases, you become even worse than them. Because you know what happens? This is how the story goes when you do this at work or when you do this at a family function. Is somebody gets at you, somebody's a butthead to you, they're a beavis to you, they're a bully to you, and then you clap back and you clap back just a little harder. And you know how the story goes? People go, well, geez, did you see what happened? I mean, Karen was being rude, but I mean, Karen is always rude. We've just kind of gotten used to it, you know. But then Michael, I mean, he clapped back. And oh, my goodness. I mean, he, he went there. I mean, he, he, I mean, he, what he said, he said something really personal and really mean. And I mean, it was just so out of character. And oh man, I just, you know, and what, what happens? Well, Karen is no longer the villain anymore, right? Who's the villain? I am, right? Because I clapped back so hard that, I mean, I even looked worse than they were. I mean, I, I clapped back so hard that now I'm the villain. Now everybody is looking out for me. Everybody's like, oh, look out for butthead over here. Because, because I made a fool of myself. 
And, and here's the thing I want you to know, too, because we're, we're, we live in this day and age where it's, it's so easy to do this, right? Especially, like, on social media, right? Somebody claps at you in the comment section, and they're like, oh, look out, right? Here we go. We're ready to rumble, and I'm going to have the last word. But when you do this, when you, when you have this kind of behavior, whether it be on the ball field or whether it be in traffic or it be at work or at a family function or whatever it may be, here's, here's something you, you need to hear is that it embarrasses people you love, okay? I know you don't think about that in the moment. You know you don't think about it as it happens. But, 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 but think about just this for a minute. I mean, you may not care how you look. I mean, I know that's like a common cultural thing. Well, I don't care what anybody thinks about me. Okay, well, well think about this. Think about what people think about your spouse. Uh, think about your kids for a minute as your kids watch you behave that way. I mean, if we're not careful, if we clap back at people, if we fight back, if we fight fire with fire, we embarrass the people we love. We, we embarrass our family. We, we embarrass our friends. And, and can I be honest with you, as your pastor, there are times where you embarrass the church. Because you're associated with us. You're wearing your big Anchored Hope t-shirt. <laughs> and it says it on your Facebook page. And to be honest with you, sometimes you embarrass us, misrepresent us, because you've made the decision to, to fight back with somebody. Now, now the second option, if you're not going to fight back, the other option is that you might already be thinking about, well, I already know where this is going, I know what the answer is then. Well, then you, just, you need to ignore them, right? But here's the thing, you can't ignore them. That's some motherly advice, right? Maybe your mom said that too. When, you're, when you ran home to your mom and you said, Mom, there's this, there's this butthead at school and there's this bully and there's just these ignorant people who are, who are messing with me. And your mom just said, oh, honey, just ignore them. But here's the thing. You can't ignore them. That's not the best advice either. That, that's not the best option. You can't ignore them. Because when you ignore people, you give them a level of control over you. You give them this ability to, to run, run the yard, to run the environment, to, to run the wor workplace, to run the family. And you can't just ignore them. And here's, here's what I know as a pastor. This is coming from experience, so you just got to trust me on this. Here's what I know, is that when you ignore bullies and, and buttheads and beavises, that eventually, no matter how hard you try, eventually the pressure valve has to be unleashed. And here's what I see most often is you will ignore the bully, the butthead, or the beavis, but eventually you will vent off on somebody else. Yeah? Right? Like if you ignore that person at work long enough, what will happen is, is you will come home and you will unleash on your spouse. And you will unleash on your kids. Because it, the pressure has to go somewhere. It's, it's practical, okay? It, the pressure has to go somewhere. And so if you don't have a way to let it go and to let it out and to fix it, then you will just vent out on other people. So there's a third option. And that is what we are going to talk about in this series. Because the answer is to not fight back. The answer is to not ignore them. But there is a third option. But you're not going to like it. So today I'm going to talk about the butthead. And you may not know what the butthead is. The butthead is a mean person, okay? The butthead is a mean person because mean people, bullies, and beavis, 
It just didn't have a good ring to it. So anyway, it's the butthead. Because me and my sister, specifically when we were growing up, I always remember when I was being mean to her, she called, she's like, would you stop being a butthead? Okay? So it's a family thing. Anyway, I'm seeing counseling about it. Um, but a butthead is a mean person. What do you do with mean people? Well, to find that answer, I want to take you to an Old Testament story. And I want to talk to you about Abigail. Does anybody know the story of Abigail? No, of course you don't, okay? Well, good. Well, Abigail is part of the backstory of David, which David you probably are familiar with, right? David who killed Goliath, David who eventually became king. But what you may not know about is the in-between time where David was actually a fugitive, and this is where this story takes place. David, he kills Goliath, and we know that story, right? The sling, the rock, the whole thing, chops Goliath's head off with his sword and all that jazz. Well, then David becomes so popular, Saul actually adopts him and brings him into his family, makes him one of his own. But he becomes so popular, he actually starts to threaten Saul's kingdom. And so Saul actually decides this is not so good. This man's becoming so popular, he may be able to overthrow me, and I can't have anybody take my seat. And so Saul actually puts a bounty on his head and tries to kill David. So David, he runs off to the wilderness alone, hurt, And he's just angry. I mean, he is just seething. He is so upset with Saul, how Saul betrayed him, how his people betrayed him. And so now he's he's in the wilderness, and he's alone, and he creates kind of a small army, kind of a, a, a group of bandits. And he is just waiting for the day where he can get his revenge. So through this whole story, just realize that. Realize that David is in a place where he is waiting for somebody to poke the bear. Right? He is waiting for somebody to say the wrong thing so that he can get in a fight because he is ready to fight. And so this story is found in Samuel. Samuel was kind of the man who documented a lot of David's life. And so in 1 Samuel, this is what it says. It tells us a certain man in Moan who had property there in Carmel was very wealthy. He had a 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. His name was uh, Nabal, and his wife's name was Abigail, and she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. But her husband was surly and mean in his dealings. So Nabal, Abigail's husband, he had all of this property. He was a very, very wealthy man. He had all of these sheep, and it became uh, shearing season, where they would go through and they would make a, a lot of profit. This was like harvest time for them. And so it says in there, Samuel's sure to tell us that he was a, he was a very mean person is what he was. And, and so what happened uh, was this. It, it goes on and it tells us what, what David's men did. Um, David actually sent uh, 10 men over to Nabal because there was a a past experience that they had. And he sent these men to ask for some of the the wealth that Nabal had. Maybe that Nabal would support this small group of bandits living out in the middle of the desert. Maybe he would share some of this wealth because he had so much with these men. And so these 10 men, they come to Nabal, and this is what they say. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time they were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. So what happened was, is where the sheep shearing, which that's very hard to say if you try it, okay? Try to say that three times fast. Sheep shearing, sheep shearing. It's easier than I thought. Never mind. Um, Sheep shearing season, where they went to go do this at, David and his men were camped out at. And they offered a level of protection. They didn't mess with 
Nabal's servants. They didn't mess with any of the stock. They actually kind of protected, and everybody kind of backed off because David was one bad, mean dude. And remember, he's got Goliath's sword still. Uh, still. So he's, he's wielding this huge sword of Goliath, and everybody's kind of afraid of him. And so he kind of offered a little bit of protection. So he goes, hey, maybe because we offered a little bit of protection, oh, you kick a little bit back to us. And so this uh, story goes on, and it, and it says next. It says, ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable, favorable towards my men, since we come at festive time. Please give your servants and your son David whatever you can find for them. So they're just saying it's anything. Anything will do. Because we offered a little bit of protection, because we helped you out just a little bit, just, just kick a little bit back to us. And this was Nabal's response. Nabal answered. He said, he said to David's servants, Who is this David? Who is this son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days, which was kind of a personal dig, right? Because that's what David had done to Saul. Yeah, there's a lot of people having some hard times these days from breaking off from their masters. Why should I take my bread and water and the meat I have slaughtered from my, for my shears and give it to men coming from who knows where? So Nabal, he meets these men and he goes, uh, I, I don't even know who you are. You're, you're, you're nobody to me. You're, you're low man on the totem pole. I mean, what am I going to do? Help this, help this man who has abandoned his master, who's on the run, who has a bounty on his head, the, this so-called hero of the community? Yeah, I don't even know you, and I'm not even going to pretend to know you. So he basically said, shove off, right? And so David's men went back uh, to David and told him exactly what he had said. And this is what David, how David responded. David said to his men, each of you, strap on your sword. Which I would love to say that like at the end of a leadership team meeting one day. You know what I mean? Be like, guys, here's what we're going to do. Strap on your swords, right? Because it's basically like the Bible equivalent to like lock and load, right? So he says, strap on your sword. So they did it. And David, he strapped on his as well. So David, he takes Goliath's huge sword and he straps it on as well. And about 400 men went up with David while 200 stayed with the supplies. So they are on their way, and what are they going to do? They are going to massacre Nabal and his family. I mean, they are going to go and teach them a lesson. They are going to wipe them out, and they are going to take everything. And in that moment, what David plans to do is, is to respond in this way. He's going to respond evil with evil, right? He's like, oh, you, you think you could be a butthead? Watch how big of a butthead I can be. You think you're mean? You think you're shrewd? Watch how mean I can be. And so he is on his way to decimate this family. I mean, this is just, this is going to be a slaughter. This is going to be so bad. And David, as he's riding, as he's on his way, he, I'm, I'm sure I can imagine in my head that David, he, he was just kind of starting to play everything that was going to happen. As he's riding his horse there, he's like, oh man, when I get there, this is going to be so good. And, you know, and he's, he's just kind of playing it out of his head. You ever do that, you know, when you're going to a meeting and you know this meeting is going to be like a confrontation? Like this meeting is going to be bad and you just start playing it in your head in the car. You're like, when they say this, I'm going to say that. 
And when they bring this up, oh, I'm going to remind them. Oh, I'm going to remind them good. I'm going to win this thing. It's going to be so good, right? I can just see, like, the fire just starting to build, right? The, 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 the intensity, right? The tension is just starting to build. And David, oh, as he writes, he's just getting hotter and hotter and harder. What he's going to do, he's going to teach Nabal this lesson. And David even says, David, he says this. He says, it's been useless all my watching over this fellow's property in the wilderness so that nothing of his was missing. He has paid me back evil for good. May God deal with David. He's even talking in the third person now. He's like the rock, right? He's like the David says, right? May God deal with David, be it ever so severely. If by morning I leave alive one male of all who belong to him. If you smell what the David is cooking, all right? I mean, he's like, he is ready to go. He is ready to fight, and he's like, I'm not going to leave a single one of them alive. So meanwhile, as David is riding to, to Carmel in order to confront Nabal, one of the servants find Abigail, and Abigail wasn't there when they showed up. And so Abigail needs to be caught up, and so one of the servants comes, comes to Abigail, and, and this is what they say. It says, one of the servants told Abigail, Nabal's wife, David sent messengers from the wilderness to give our master his greetings. But he hurled insults at them. So they fully recognized. They're like, Nabal, he's such a ding-dong. He messed up. He just, they came, and they, he just started insulting them and being rude to them and being ignorant to them. It's just, oh, so bad. And so then they go on, and they say this next. It says, yet these men were very good to us. They did not mistreat us. And the whole time we were out in the fields near them, nothing went missing. So even the servants are sitting back going, you know, it's not that bad of a deal. I mean, these guys were so nice to us and so courteous. And, you know, one of them was cute. I really think, like, we should give them a little bit. You know, we should, like, help these guys out. They were really nice. And your, your stupid husband, I mean, he's just, he's going to get us all killed. This is going to be bad. And so then it says this, Abigail says, now, now think it over and, and see what you can do. Because disaster is hanging over our master and his whole household. He is, he is such a wicked man that no one, no one can talk to him. So Abigail, she, she had to do something. She had to act quickly. And that's exactly what she did. It tells us next, Abigail acted quickly. She took 200 loaves of bread, two skins of wine, five dressed sheep, five sheets of roasted uh, grain, 100 cakes of raisins, and 200 cakes of pressed figs, and loaded them on donkeys. So she creates this huge, huge caravan, right, of like a welcome package. Like the biggest welcome gift you could ever imagine. And this is what happened. At the time that it came, as she, as she came riding her donkey into a mountain ravine, there were David and his men descending towards her, and she met them. Now, now what, is, what is Abigail doing that is so, so very smart? She's de-escalating things, right? She's bringing the temperature down. This would be the equivalent of like, remember that meeting, you know, we're driving to and that meeting we're like, oh man, when I get there, I'm going to chew them so good. I'm going to get them. I'm going to say this. I'm going to say that. I'm going to win this confrontation. I'm going to win this battle so bad. And you walk in there and you're all hot and they're like, before you begin, would you like a chocolate covered strawberry? <laughs> and you're like, I'll take one. This is so good. Right? I mean... Who could be mad if there was a, a plate of chocolate covered strawberries waiting for you, right? So that's what she's doing. She's like, I'm going to, when they show up, I'm just going to have all these gifts for them. 
Like way more than they even asked for. I'm going to have all this food, all these gifts. I'm going to have an iPad ready. I'm going to have some chocolate-covered strawberries. I'm going to have some Starbucks. I'm going to say, hey, before we start, hi. Right? That's what she's going to do, right? She's going to open this up. Do you guys not read the Bible like me? Because I'm having fun. You guys are like, geez. Anyway, so she could say, meet in the middle, and then this is what happened. Whenever Abigail saw David, she quickly got off her donkey, and she bowed down before David. So, I mean, she doesn't come into this contact with him with her hands on her hips. She, she bows. I mean, she, she gets low. She's like, hello. Oh, well, thank you. Oh, I'm so glad to see you. She goes and she gets her face to the ground. She gets her face to the ground. And then she does something so brilliant. As she begins to address David and meets him before he can even get there, she begins to talk to him like the man that she hopes he already is. It's brilliant what she does. This is what she says to him. She fell at her feet and said, Pardon your servant, my Lord, and let me speak to you. Hear what your servant has to say. She says, Let me get a minute of your time. Let me bend your ear just a little bit. And then she says, Hear what your servant has to say. Please pay no attention to my Lord, to the wicked man Nabal. He is just like his name. His name means fool, and folly goes with him. So if any of you are thinking, oh, Nabal, that's a great name. I'm going to name my kid that. It means idiot is what it means, okay? So don't name your kid that. So my husband, oh, he's such a, he's such a wicked man. And as, for, and as for me, your servant, I did not see the men my Lord sent. And now, my Lord, as surely as the Lord your God gives you as you live, since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed, he did? Yeah, yeah, because you're not going to kill anybody, right? Since the Lord has kept you from bloodshed and from avenging yourself, he did? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. With your own hands, may your enemies and all who are intent on harming my Lord be like Nabal. And let this gift which your servants brought to my Lord be given to the men who follow you. Please forgive your servants uh, presumption. The Lord your God will certainly make a lasting dynasty for your, for my Lord. Because you, because you fight the Lord's battles. I do? Yes, yes you do. And no wrongdoing would be found in you as long as you live. It won't? Oh no, because you're not going to do anything bad, right? Even though someone is pursuing you to take your life, the life of my Lord will be bound securely in the bundle of the living Lord your God. And then she goes on, but the lives of your enemies, and this was so smart, this was, this was something so beautiful. Notice what she's doing here. She says to him, but the lives of your enemies, he will hurl away as from the pocket of a sling, which was calling him back to the very story that started this story. And do you know what she was doing in that moment? In that moment, what she was doing was calling him back to a time where he was lost, where he didn't know what to do, and he turned to God, and God was faithful. When he was scared, and when he was lonely, and God took a small pebble and a sling and gave him everything that he needed. And in that moment, she goes, remember you, remember who you are. You're still that little boy who faced Goliath and who defeated 
who defeated the beast, who defeated the monster known as Goliath. I mean, David, you are so much better than Nabal. You are so much bigger than Nabal. Remember who you are. Remember how faithful God has been to you. you do you really need to go as low as Nabal to get what you want? You are so much better than him. And you don't need to come down to his level because you are so much greater. And God has so much more bigger plans for you. The dynasty he is going to create through you. The things he's going to do for you. And in the future when he does those things, do you really want to look back on today and have a blemish on your story because of a guy named Nabal? Here's what she did. She was asking him a question. A question that I've asked you many, many times. And it's this. What story do you want to tell when this is nothing but a story to tell? In the future, do you really want to look back on your life with any regrets? When people say, you are so wise, and you go, well, thank you, but there was this one time where I wasn't so much. Do you really want to look back on this time because of a guy like Nabal and have guilt? Do you want somebody as small and as lonely and as bitter as Nabal to cause a blemish on your reputation? And she says it in her own way. She says it like this. She says, when the Lord has fulfilled for my Lord every good thing he promised concerning him, and he has appointed you, David, ruler over Israel. And then he goes, goes on. David, oh, sorry, I skipped that. I didn't put it in my notes. My bad. Um, And she says to him, "Do, do you want this to be the memory that you have? Do you want that to be it? And David, he looks at her and he says to Abigail, Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. And David goes on, and he says to her, May you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hands. Now, if you don't know the end of the story, you ought to read it. It's a pretty, pretty good story. It's kind of weird, though, but I'm just going to be honest with you about what happened. So David did not end up killing Nabal or the people. Um, however, the very next day, Nabal died of natural causes. <laughs> he dies. And then um, he takes Abigail, David takes Abigail as his wife, and they run off happily ever after. Kind of weird, right? Anyway, um, I don't know how you want to look into that, um, God kills buttheads. I don't know. Um, but, you know, whatever you want to do with that today. But the point, of this is, the, the point of this story is this. This is what I want you to take away. We have three characters in this story. Okay? The three characters are, are like this. We've got Nabal. Nabal who, who was evil for good. Right? He responded evil for good. And that's maniacal. Right? And then we have David. David who responded evil for evil which was completely predictable, completely understandable. This is what you and I do on a daily basis. This is what people do all the time, and, and we don't, we, we understand. We're like, well, yeah, of course you would. you got to stand up for yourself. You know, you can't just, you can't just let, them, let them bully you. You can't just let them be a butthead to you. you got to fight back. It's predictable, right? But then, then we have Abigail, and Abigail responds good for evil which was remarkable. And this is what I want you to see today through this story. When it comes to buttheads in your life, when it comes to mean people, and there's a lot of them, and there's a lot of tension 
between people today. I mean, I'll be honest with you. I've not seen people be this mean to each other in a very long time in my life. People are just mean. And they're not just opinionated. I mean, they're, they're bullish with their opinions. And in this day and age where we are just so harsh and mean to each other, where the culture says, well, I said what I said, and I did what I did, let me ask you a question. What story do you want to tell when this is nothing but a story to tell? In front of every single one of us are maniacal people. And it would be completely understandable. Nobody would fault you. Everybody would say, well, of course you did. It would be so predictable for you to be a David and for you to respond evil with evil. But in front of you is an opportunity for you to do something remarkable. In front of you is an opportunity to be an Abigail and to do not what is predictable, but to do something remarkable and to live a remarkable life. Now, for those of you who aren't Christians in the room or who aren't Christians that are watching, I'm just telling you, this is good advice. This would be best for you to do. But for those of you in the room or who are watching who consider yourself to be Christian, this is a must. This is not an option. This is who you are called to be. Because the thing is, is that when it came to you and it came to me, who were all born as sinners, who are all naturally inclined to sin, the thing is, is that when we first sinned, Jesus was remarkable to us. And even though it would have been predictable for God to punish us, for God to shame us, instead he showed us mercy Instead, he showed us grace, and we call it amazing grace, just like in the song we sang today, because it should not have happened, because we didn't earn it, we didn't deserve it, it was something remarkable. And the thing is, is that when Jesus did that for every single one of us, when Jesus did that for you, and Jesus did that for me, he told us that we should do the same for one another. He says this in Luke, Jesus tells us, He says, but to you who are listening, I say, love your enemies. Love your enemies and do good to those who hate you. And bless those who curse you. And pray for those who mistreat you. Now, here's the problem with Christians today, right? Because a lot of Christians, you know this verse. You heard this. And you're like, oh, Lord, I did. I did love my enemy. I I did choose not to hate them. I did bless them. I didn't punch them in the face, Lord. Like, I wanted to so bad, but I just stuck my my hands in my pockets, and God blessed them, because I would have killed them, Lord. And it was such a blessing to them. I chose not to mistreat them. And you're missing the point of what Jesus is trying to say. Jesus is not trying to tell you this. Uh, I I want you to read it this way. I don't want you to just not do something to them. I want you to do something for them. Now, that's different, Right? Because Jesus didn't just not do something to you. He did something for you. Jesus jumped up on your cross, which you had earned, which you deserved. And Jesus, he did something for you and I. He didn't just not do something to us. He did something for us. 
And Jesus, he says this, to, to finish out that verse, he says, And you will be children of the Most High, because he is kind and to the ungrateful and the wicked. See, being like Jesus is not just holding your tongue. Being like Jesus is not just about taking your clenched fist and putting it in your pockets. Being like Jesus is doing something kind for the ungrateful and for the wicked. It's about doing something for evil people. So here's the question I want you to wrestle with today, and this is a hard question. You know how much I love hard questions, right? The question is this. What would it look like to return good for evil? What would it look like to return good for evil? I had to face this this week. This week, uh, on Monday, I came into contact with a butthead in my life. Um, it's a butthead uh, who has had several opportunities to not be a butthead and continues to be a butthead. And anyway, um, I knew kind of what was going on in this person's life from social media or from people telling me, like, did you see what butthead did? Yes, I know about butthead. Yes, butthead is very butthead. Um, and so I came into contact. I came in, in close contact, person to person. We're in a room together with butthead. And just like I said, I mean, I just, the whole room changed, right? I mean, I had to adapt like I've never adapted before, right? I'm trying to pretend like that, that section of the room does not exist, right? Like I'm looking over it, around it, never in the eyes, you know? I'm walking by them. I'm not addressing them. I'm not saying hello. I'm not doing anything because inside I'm fuming. Inside I'm upset. Inside, like I want to say so much, you know what I mean? And uh, I'm like, I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to do it. And so anyway, we, we spend this about an hour in this environment and we get in the car and I like, I mean, I'm hot. And I tell Kay, I'm like, not going to do it. Uh-uh. Nope, not going to do this. I'm going to talk to somebody. That person is not returning here. I am not going to see them again. They are not going to do this. This is my time. They're not going to take this from me and make me feel uncomfortable. I'm going to make them feel uncomfortable, you know? And so I I mean, I had this whole thing, and I was going through it, and I mean, I thought some maniacal things, right? I mean, Googling Hitman. I mean, anyway, uh, I mean, there was all kinds of things that Pastor Mike was thinking about, okay? And so anyway, I had my moment, and then, you know, my wife, she's like, well, what do we do? You know, what are we supposed to do in this situation? And it was that very day I started to work on this message, okay? And I was, oh, I was driving, I was, oh! and Kate's like, what's wrong? I was like, stupid sermon, is what I said. I said that out loud. I was like, stupid sermon. And she was like, what? I was oh, God told me what I was supposed to do. I already know what I'm supposed to do, but I don't want to do it, you know? And she's like, what are you supposed to do? And I explained this whole message to her. I went through it. And I was like, oh, Abigail, and yeah, it's time to be remarkable, Michael, <laughs> you know? And so, you know, I'm like going through this whole thing, and I don't want to do it. I don't want to do it. And Kate, she's, you know, she's listening to this and all. And so anyway, we got home, and, and Kate you know, Kate's like, what do we do? I was like, yeah, you ought to reach out to her. She's like, really? Yeah, text butthead, you know, just call him, you know. Even in our phone, it says butthead. It's under the context. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but Kate texted her, and Kate said, hey, sorry, sorry I didn't talk to you tonight. It was just really awkward because we haven't seen each other in a while, and a lot's happened, and I just wanted to know, how are you doing? Do you need anything? How's it going? And just reached out to them and talked talk to them for about an hour, texting back and forth and, 
and offering anything that we could. And I'm telling you what, it was so, so, so hard. I mean, it was one of the, it's just, it's difficult. It's hard to do when, when somebody is being so mean. And when you know that that person is probably going to continue to be mean. But, but here's the thing I, I, I want you to understand about this. It's going to be up here on the screen. When you do for others what they don't deserve for you to do, it won't change anything about them, but it will change you. Because it will make you more like our Father in heaven. It will make you more like God. Because when you do this, when you live this way, this, this is how you show the world that you are a child of God. That you are a child of the Most High. So here's my challenge to you. In a world full of Davids, surrounded by a world full of Nabals, be an Abigail. Do something remarkable. Don't do the predictable thing. Don't do what everybody knows that you're going to do. This is your opportunity to do something remarkable. And can I give you another piece of advice, especially for those of you who are couples in the room, those of you who are either dating or related or, or married? It's really easy when you're, when you're married to a Nabal to defend Nabal. When you're married to a Nabal and they do something stupid and you go, well, you know, that's just them, you know. You know, you notice in that story that Abigail didn't defend Nabal. She said, he is a moron. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and here's the thing. I, I know so much in this culture and today we think that the, the right thing to do, that the best way we could love our spouse is to defend them, you know, defend them to a fault. But here's, here's what I want you to tell them is that sometimes when your spouse is being a Nabal, you need to call him a Nabal. Maybe that could be a thing we could all practice. Like when you're in the car and they're being, you need to quit being in the ball right now, <laughs> right? It'd be better than some of the words you call each other. But anyway, uh, quit being in the ball. And here's the thing. There, there's nothing wrong with that. And some people, they need to hear when they're being in the ball. But here's the other thing, too. Some of you, you're married to somebody who can be a David. And again, you think that the most loving thing to do that you could do for the person you're dating, for your family member, or for your spouse, is to defend them. When they're like, strap on your sword, honey, you're like, okay, dear, here we go, you know? And you're like, you know, and you're going to fight. I don't know what that voice was. That wasn't planned. Anyway, uh, <laughs> none of you sound like a munchkin from Lollipop World or anything like that, you know what I mean? Here we go, the Lollipop Girl, the Lollipop Anyway, uh, you know, but you're like, strap on your sword. Here we go. Here's the thing. When you're in that midst of that situation with the David, some of you need to jump in front of your family member or jump in front of your spouse and be an Abigail and speak to them like the person that you know that they can be and say, hey, 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 I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know, I know they're an idiot, I know they're stupid, I know they're so mad, I know you want to comment back at them, I know you want to clap back, oh, I want to clap back too, but hold on, remember who we represent. Remember that we're Christians and that we're children of God. Just, just wait. Do you really, really want them to make you lower 
Do you really want them to put that blemish on your reputation? Ah, hold on. See, we all, we all not only need to be an Abigail in our own lives, but some of us, we need to be an Abigail for our spouse. And some of us, we need to be an Abigail for our coworker. Some of us, we need to be an Abigail for our boss. Some of us, we need to be an Abigail for our neighbor. You know what? All this stuff going around, there's going to be so much tension over the next month between schools and school districts. I'm already feeling it. I'm already seeing it. I'm predicting what's going to happen. And you know what? Some of us right now, in the next month, God's going to put us in a position to be an Abigail. And we need to prepare for it. We need to have a plan. Because if we don't have a plan, we know what will happen. And we need to be ready to be an Abigail, to not be predictable, but to live a remarkable life. Because see, in front of us is this opportunity. In front of us, the meaner that they are, the brighter our light has a chance to shine. The meaner the world gets, the bigger the opportunity we have to show who we belong to. So I'm going to let the band come back up, and we're going to sing a song that CJ and I picked out. And then the words are really simple. It just says, you can have it all, Lord. And here's the thing. When, you, when you're dealing with a difficult person, you can do the predictable thing, or you can do the remarkable thing. But before you can even do that, you've got to surrender your whole self to God. You got to say, Lord, you, you can have it all. Every part. Take this life. I, I, I don't just have faith in you and I don't just trust you when things are good. I mean that all the time. And I mean that during this time. I mean this during this time where I want so badly to be a David. But I know that in front of me is an opportunity to be an Abigail. If you'd like to leave a donation, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash give. If you'd like to speak with someone from Anchored Hope, please visit anchoredhope.church forward slash high. Thank you for listening, and God bless.